Welcome to On The Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. Hi, I'm Andy Simon. Welcome to our podcast today. As you know, my job is to get you off the brink. I don't want you to be sitting there trying to figure out how to adapt to fast-changing times. So I go looking for interesting people who are going to help you do that. If you're going to soar again, we have to help you see, feel, and think in some new ways so you can do some new things. So today I have Linda Coughlin here with me. And Linda is a fantastic woman who's going to help you do just what we said we want to do, change. Let me tell you a little bit about her, and then she'll tell you about her own journey. Lynn is president and founder of Great Circle Associates. What does she do? She provides interim executive and strategic advisory services to leaders who need to develop a transformative strategy, not just another, but one that's going to provide them with a new approach. And in these fast-changing times, it's essential. She also coaches executives who are at an inflection point. What does that mean? They're new CEOs, they're emerging leaders, they're at a point where they need a hand trying to figure out what's new and how they're going to behave in their corporate role. And she's smiling at me. Lynn is a collaborative, results-driven consensus builder. You're going to love our conversation. She also is on the board of C200, an invitation-only membership organization of the world's leading female operating executives. And she's a member of the Women's Policy Group at the Council on Foreign Relations and the Economic Club of New York. Really impressive woman. I'm delighted to have her. And I almost will call her a friend. She's a great colleague, but I do enjoy our conversations. And I particularly like the fact that she was a professional equestrian. As you know, horses are part of our lives, and we just love people who love horses also. Lynn, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Andy. It's an honor and pleasure. Tell the listeners and the audience who are viewing this, who is Lynn? And what's your journey? And how did you get to this point now where you're ready to help organizations as you're doing something that they hate to do, which is change? So who's Lynn? Well, you know, Lynn is someone who has spent her life really, not by design, but but on roads a little less traveled. My my career in particular began, as you alluded to, as a professional equestrian, having graduated with a um, an economics degree, summa cum laude. And uh, I have, and from there, it, it went on and I ultimately found my way to corporate America, where I was always attracted to problems, problems that needed solved, processes that could be improved. I was always attracted to what opportunities might exist to get away from the status quo. I'm someone who has, I just don't have patience with the status quo, especially not for the sake of it, but because I, I, I'm someone who can see better opportunities. I can see the possibilities. I can see their achievability and I, and I want to go for it. So throughout my career, and as I matured in my career, I really got involved in, in many transformative related assignments that had to do with everything from integrations, leading integrations on the heels of all types of transactions, to restructurings, to big rebranding initiatives, 
big uh, organizational changes and on and on and on. And I really am inspired by what it takes to break from the shackles of the status quo and help leaders now today enact change in their enduring change in their own with their own business models and indeed in their careers as they as they make changes in their in their careers. During your corporate journey, you were with Citibank, American Express, Linkage, Inc., and, and so forth. And then you went into your own business. In that transition, you sort of epitomized the joy and the agony of transformation and transitions. You want to talk a little bit about going from corporate? Because you know that during the pandemic, the number of women who went from corporate to their own business has just soared. So That's right. lessons that you experienced or things to learn there. Well, you know, when I left corporate America, I, I wasn't planning on it. I actually was not planning on it. And um I had just finished a huge assignment with Sendin Corporation leading the the development where we spun off four different divisions of this great big holding company into publicly held companies. And I had been charged with getting those four entities ready for publicly to become publicly traded companies. And so after that happened, I I was doing a lot of interviewing, a lot of great, great possibilities, even a couple of possibilities in Silicon Valley, CEO opportunities in Silicon Valley. And I, I, but the fire, the fire just wasn't in my belly for some reason at the time. And I was confounded by it because I, I'm not somebody who is anything but totally committed and excited about what I what I do and what I want to pursue. And one thing led to another and I had conversations with friends and colleagues and and I began to realize that over the prior 25 years I had learned so much, so much about how you go about enacting enduring transformative change and the art and science of it, the art and science of it. And the people helper that I am, the mentor and coach that I naturally am, I began to wonder whether or not I could I could help other leaders with big, messy, transformative change. And that's ultimately the business that I started, which today is, as you mentioned, a hybrid of working with leaders and leadership teams who need to envision disruptive strategies from the status quo and plan for and execute on them. But I also work with those same leaders in very important coaching situations that involve transitions that they're going through in their careers. And I love it. I love it. I'm good at it. It gives me pleasure every day. I'm glad you found your calling, is what it sounds like. You had a training period for 25 years, and you said something important for our listeners. You, in 25 years, began to hone the skills that were needed from both a personal and a professional level to now take this without being inside a company, but being outside to help them. Are there two or three things there 
that are worth emphasizing. Some of the, the lessons learned in terms of uh, processes for change that others sh- should think about. Yes, yes. Um, first of all, I just want to say to my listeners that it's if you are an aspiring leader and looking to looking to progress and in, in your career, go for the assignments that nobody else wants. Ah. They tend to be the big change assignments. Um, they tend to be messy, but they are. Uh, that's where it's at in terms of galvanizing your career and moving it forward. So lessons learned. You know, I was thinking about this before our interview. The single most important lesson I've learned as a change master and is is really around the importance of building trusting and trusted relationships. Yes, you need to have the you know the, the the social skills, the technical skills. You need to be very strategic. You need to be you need to be an excellent planner. You need to be great at execution. You need to be great at mobilizing people to get to get excited about change. But you can't do that especially because the human condition is starts off being averse to change, right? We, you've really got to invest in building trusting and trusted relationships with stakeholders at the start of what you see is a big, but disruptive possibility. And then to go a little deeper, the importance of building those relationships with stakeholders who are particularly threatened, who are who 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 really have a hard time for any number of reasons with the possibility and the direction. You've got to cultivate relationships with those people such that you're putting yourself in their shoes and really understanding where they're coming from insofar as the obstacles that they struggle with and work toward a win-win situation for them such that, and, and, your, and your, your goal, your objective needs to be that you position them in the end to exceed not only their own expectations, but the expectations of their important stakeholders. So it really is so much about um, creating a reciprocal situation where everybody wins but it starts with building that trust andy yeah trust is an interesting word so elusive it's so intuitive that's right side with the heart and the eyes and if you can't see it you don't know what the words mean so it's a very interesting word when we approach remember we're anthropologists who specialize in helping organizations change yes And, and from our perspective we know we live the story in our minds those interesting people, the ones who are the most resistant are always fascinating to me because they're not even sure why they're resisting. You know, right. they often will say the words and say, of course we can do that. And, uh, and then they go back to do just what they always did. And I laugh because they don't even know that the habits are driving their daily actions. Their conversations are so habit formed that they don't even know how the habits are taking over as if it's a script. And, and I often will go and say, the visualization of the new is missing. They don't really know what it is you're looking for them to do differently. 
And so therefore they say yes, and then they go back and do what they're most comfortable doing. The brain is a problem. And your mind, it does exactly what it thinks you want it to do and isn't quite sure what the unknown is, the unfamiliar. You're smiling at me. Similar, your thoughts. Well, I'm smiling because you're, 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 this is a beautiful segue into a second point, which is as a as a effective change master, you need to be able to develop ways to make the case, compelling case for change. You need to be able to help people really, as you put it, envision what the possibility could or possibilities could be and what it looks like from an achievability standpoint. And again, going back to what the benefits to them could be in a situation of a disruptive change. And it's just so important that you build not only your communications and listening skills, the listening, active listening skills are all part of the communication skills, but so that you can ultimately articulate compelling reasons for change that benefit the whole, yep. that benefit the whole. The active listening is important to emphasize for our listeners, because as I'm listening to you, my head's already thinking about what I want to say next. And and that's not good. And in active listening, you're here listening. I'm listening to Lynn and I should be ready to say. So it sounds like, Lynn, that the most important part, apart from building trust, is to get some active listening. So in a way, I can affirm that I heard you as opposed to already thought about something else to add to it. And I emphasize that because as a lesson that we all have learned is that we really don't want to listen. We want to talk. (laughs) And and I really don't care what you think. I really want to tell you what I think. And all of those are bad habits. Uh, But it's important in the transformation to develop new skills. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes. And, you know, Andy, you just made an excellent point, which is around around active listening and the and the talent of it. It's it's not only being able to put yourself in the shoes of of others and really being almost being able to empathize with them. It's also about being able to play back to them what you think you've heard, what you think you've heard and giving them the opportunity to embellish, to refine, to yeah, you know, can even continue to push back. It's it's so important to to be able to play back what you think you're hearing as you as you move along in a conversation or a series of conversations. Yeah. And now a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us. And we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. Whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled, or an individual in that organization who's looking to rethink their own life's journey, Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled, and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens reignite their growth, and soar again. My new book that came out in January 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings, and the brick walls and become the best that they could be. 
They heard things like women aren't lawyers and women can't lead and women aren't in geosciences. And they said, of course we are. And they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back, and ask yourself, where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose? And am I there or can I get there? Send us your emails to info at andysimon.com and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. On andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books. And you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves, very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now back to our podcast. One of the things that we've learned from the neurosciences may be familiar with Judith Glazer's work on the We Institute and conversational intelligence. And I want to follow up a little on your stuff and you can give me your perspective on it. But I always tell my clients, if you keep talking about I, the cortisol goes flying and your amygdalas are all rejecting, fleeing, fearing, appeasing you. But if you talk about we, the oxytocin in the brain, that love hormone has a field day. And people love you when you're talking about we. So how do we switch the conversation from I want you to do that to we have to find a way to do that? And they look at me as if I'm strange. I said, but it's your brain. And, and your brain is looking for a way to be part of the process and the opportunities as opposed to being told what to do. And it'll just you know abort you as faster than you can imagine because their brains, that amygdala, wants to say, go away, go away. I don't want anything unfamiliar or not unknown to me. Or, or do you use similar methodologies? Yes. And I, you know, you've raised yet another great point, my friend, which is around the need to um, be professionally humble in a change situation where you're leading change such that you are able to uh, encourage and incent others to take ownership of the change, the actual execution of the change, the actual envisionment of ideas. That goes a long way, especially with people who are on the fence and who are feeling threatened. Um, they need to be part of the solution, and especially people who are on the line. You need, as a change master, not so much to own it, but to drive it, to help out with obstacles as they come along, to inspire people, to acknowledge successes, to acknowledge lessons learned, but but make it make it the the ownership of the stakeholders who are actually affected and on whom the execution of the change is so dependent. I don't know whether it's appropriate for you to share a case that you may have worked on recently or something. Is there one that you can, you know, you're saying, yes, let's hear it. Because sometimes it concretizes this abstractions we're talking about. Absolutely. A story to share? <laughs> yes. So um, there is a story to share. Uh, it goes back to when I was in corporate America, but it's it was a big deal. It was a big deal. So I, the company that I was with had acquired another company and I was responsible for seeing to the integration of this other company into the division that I led. Now, 
The problem was that that company that we acquired felt like they should have acquired us. <laughs> I've been there, done that. I've seen that. Ugly. Oh, it was so ugly, Andy. And and they just wanted nothing to do, yes. nothing to do with us. And and frankly, they're you know, they had a very results-oriented culture, and we did too, but 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 their our results-oriented culture didn't hold a candle to theirs. So <laughs> I knew right away yes. that there was a lot we could learn from them and there was a lot that could be transferred over in and into the new organization so that the whole could be greater than the sum of the parts. Mm -hmm. But this goes back to, so my, my, I started, like I started off at the beginning of this conversation. I, I spent six months building relationships with stakeholders, getting under the covers of what their aspirations were, what their problems and obstacles were so that together together we could envision new possibilities and we could speak to their achievability and in the process you take care to be and I did to be very humble to seek out actually to seek out criticism and critique but I took I also took advantage of transferring some of the skill sets that they brought from a leadership standpoint and from a, actually a process standpoint to my own organization very, very quickly. And when I began to do that, yeah. they really, things started to change. Yep. You know, they began to realize that I was not, and, and the colleagues that I worked with were not about taking over. We were about creating a whole, a new whole that could be greater than the sum of the parts. In six months time, we were on a path to to consolidating three operating centers into one. And we had put together a brand new pricing strategy that we began implementing that ultimately put a division of the business I was running uh, and that got integrated. It moved it from the red to the black. Oh, very interesting. So there's process to this great transformation. You yes. Know, and I, I'm a process person as you are. And it isn't about, um, you know, there's the people, there's the process, there's the metrics. I have a hundred yes. metrics a lot. I find it's the only way to show them really about what's really happening and how you can have to really change it. And it's I'm working with a healthcare organization and the um uh, the quality indicators need a hand, but unless you have good indicators, nobody will believe you that it's not perfect, right? And so the data isn't inconsequential. Metrics matter. I'm assuming you think so too. Oh, you. We should have talked about this already. It's it's the number one. It, it is the metrics. You've got to build a culture that is all around the the celebration of the metrics and tr- tracking. And, you know, when you're leading a big change initiative, it leads me to, it reminds me that as you're tracking your metrics and celebrating them and making them very transparent, so everyone knows exactly what you're tracking, exactly what you're trying to get done, whether it's getting out of Monday into Tuesday or getting from one quarter to another, you celebrate Mm -hmm. even the smallest even the smallest successes, yeah. because 
that's that when you hit some of those more foundational metrics and milestones, you, if you, the celebration of them really helps to build that momentum around innovation, around commitment, and around going the extra mile. So the metrics are so important and they change as mm-hmm. you go, right? Yeah. They change. As you go and as you as you accomplish more and the milestones get achieved and you move into phases two and three. Anyway, I interrupt you. I want to emphasize the the celebration. The mind remembers what you celebrate. You're looking at behavioral modification. Um, The reason that Weight Watchers has you weigh in once a week is to celebrate or not to redirect. But without the measure in the celebration, your mind doesn't remember it at all. It just flows right through. And That's I think right. that, that daily, um, I'm working with one client, I'm saying every day at the end of the day, take a look what happened. Because you can't wait till exactly. the end of the month, the quarter to make adjustments. You're going to need more frequent. You can migrate to less frequent at some point. But right now, if you're going to change, you've got to see it happening and celebrate that you did, pat them on the back and make them realize that what they're changing is working. And you can see it and we are going to celebrate. And that can be anything from a little gratitude note to, um, um, you know, a cup of coffee or a day off. I mean, anything that makes it meaningful in some fashion. I'm looking at our time. You and I could talk a lot because uh, we share a common passion for helping people do something they hate. I can't tell you how many times I've been engaged and put in a closet and locked up. Uh, I I hired you. Oh, Andy. You know, you're all about change. I can't do that. Don't don't ask me to. Uh, But we have to. There's no change. Andy, you know, I just remembered there's one thing about celebration that I didn't mention that I think our listeners might be interested in acknowledging, which is the celebration of lessons learned. Yes. Oh, big idea. Right? Yep. Right. I mean, change is all about course correction, right? It is all about course correction. It's all about the need to be adaptable in that regard. And if you don't celebrate lessons learned, yep. you really you you risk losing some of that edge around the momentum that you're trying to build. I just wanted to add that. And, and I'll follow with that, and then we'll do our wrap-up. But the okay. times are changing so fast now that there's an illusion that we're going to return to call it the old new normal. And uh, I think what I'd rather people recognize is there is no new normal. There's that's right. Some, uh, we want to get to that stability, but it may not come. And, and I think that what really would matter is if you, um, if you prepare for a lot more agility and adaptiveness as opposed to continuity and complacency, um, the habits are most happy. They use... You know, the brain uses 25% of the body's energy. It doesn't want to think. It doesn't want to learn. So I never knew that. I never knew that. 25% of body's energy. That's fascinating. Even when you're riding a horse and you've got to learn something, you got to think about it. And you realize, oh, this hurts. <laughs> and that's why it's working hard. But um, these are times which are prone for people to be angry at the changes. And I want to make them happy about it. You know, it's all in a mindset. It has nothing to do with what it is. It's how you give it meaning. And humans are meaning makers. 
So now's the time to make change meaningfully pleasant. Your thoughts? Change masters, the great change masters are meaning makers. Yes. And that's right? what we're trying to do. We're creating new meaning for a new time. Lynn, one or two things you want people to remember. And then how do they get a hold of you? I'm sorry. How do they, they get a hold of you? So how do they get a hold of me? Uh, well, first of all, one or two things to remember. Please. Change is, is a great, 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 great offers so much possibility. And um, and going back to my very first comment. For those of you who are really thinking about how to advance your careers, be mindful of the opportunities that exist to raise your hand and take on the tough assignments that that most people usually are not interested in doing. They tend to be the change assignments and they tend when you can execute on them well, you it will catapult you forward. It did me. And it will catapult you forward. And in that regard, um, I am I can be reached to talk about this some more at my uh email, which is Lynn L I N dot Coglin, C-O-U-G-H-L-I-N at great circle associates.com. My website is www.greatcircleassociates.com. And I'm on LinkedIn. And I was going to say, and then there's always LinkedIn. Yes. It's it's really been a pleasure. I'm going to wrap us up and thank our listeners and viewers for coming today and share it away because Lynn brings some insights into you and your organization about how to, and those are my favorite words, see, feel, and think in new ways so that you can soar. And the times they are changing and changing faster and faster, the skills that you need you didn't need before the same way you need now. You needed them, but you didn't think you did. Um, but now, right. you know, every one of my clients is trying to figure out who their clients are going to be tomorrow. And those clients are trying to figure out who they're going to need as vendors. And the whole chain isn't just a supply chain that's in flux. It's everyday activities and who we need and how we're going to work with them. So these are great times to build those expertise. I love her focus on trust. Humans need to trust who they're going to follow. And if you're a change maker, then start with the question about let's build mm, a conversation that's intelligent, that we can trust each other to get to where we need to go. And next thing you know, you'll say it well, Andy, you say (laughs) it well. Well, a little practice doesn't hurt, but you spoke so beautifully today. Thank you, Lynn, for coming. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. And I just like to say to our audience, to the wind under your wings, may you soar. (laughs) I love it. I'm going to sing that a few times. I remember that song quite well. And it was on a beach. (laughs) Thank you, Bette Midler. So uh, wrapping up today, don't forget my books are all on Amazon, Barnes & Noble and uh, local bookstores. Rethink Smashing the Myths of Women in Business are about 11 women, including myself, who smashed those myths and became great at what they had dreamed of doing with great purpose, like men is doing. And they didn't hear, no, you can't and women don't. They just said, of course I can. And so can you. And On the Brink, uh, for which this podcast was named, is a fabulous book about how little anthropology can help your business grow. And there are seven case studies in there of clients of ours, all of which were stuck or stalled. I don't want you to be stuck or stalled, either personally or professionally. So these are the times for you to get off the brink. 
Thanks for coming. Please stay well and stay in touch. And don't forget to send us those ideas about who can come onto our podcast. We're almost approaching 300 and I want you to come and celebrate this. Goodbye. Now.